number one, California, here we come, right back where we started from. Hustlers, grab your guns, your shadow is a ton, driving down the 101, California, here we come, right back where we started from, California. Where are we and what the hell is going on, bitch? Welcome to the OCD, the show where we take an in-depth episode-by-episode look at the seminal and underrated primetime soap opera of the early aughts, the OC. I am your host for the evening, dressed head-to-toe in full black tie affair, Mike. And with me, as always, looking like he just rolled out of bed, is Ryan. Good thing I sleep in a tuxedo, goddammit. But it's a wrinkled tuxedo. Which okay. is worse than boxers and a white t-shirt. How do you want me to sleep in such a way where I do not wrink my tux? Just like King Tut style? Just like arms across the chest, sarcophagus, no moving? On a bed of nails? On a bed of nails. That would be impressive. For once in your life, you would impress me. But there'd be uh, all those holies in my tuxedo. From the nailies? Yes, from the nails. I think they're called nailies. Uh, I'm sorry, from the nailies. Uh yeah, that, it's the ultimate version of press-on nails, because that's what I would be doing every second of my sleep. Oh! Oh! Ryan, how are you doing this fine evening? I was doing good until that fucking shit. Do you think that people, after I say one of you know those things that I say, people like when you applaud? People like when you uh, play Pomp and Circumstance on your trumpet that you have, but you, but you never play it anymore. Um, but when you scream... Like some sort of drunk donkey Kong at a spring break, that pisses people off. Can you imagine? I I can't. Donkey Kong, he wears a tie. He's like a dad or an uncle. I can't imagine him at a spring break. I can see Diddy Kong with that hat flipped backwards at a spring break. Hold on, bro. You're thinking of father or probably uncle Donkey Kong, Onky Donkey, that uh, came in the later years when like things looked 3D. That OG Donkey Kong. That was oh, throwing the frat boy throwing <laughs> barrels at Mario. Yeah, they're both twenty, going after the same girl. Yeah, throwing barrels at him probably because uh, Mario looks Italian. If we're gonna be honest, <laughs> and and Donkey Kong was made in the early nineteen hundreds when they were the people we weren't supposed to like. Was that Donkey Kong wearing a tie? Probably not. He just had the the arm cuffs. Uh, yeah, that strippers wear. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that so sexy? You just have the wrist cuffs of a button-up shirt, but nothing else? I'm sorry. You're asking, why is Donkey Kong's outfit so sexy? (laughs) Yes, I am, (laughs) I guess. I don't know. Uh, Donkey Kong also had that thing that back in the day where you... He had, like, uh, Diddy Kong, and I think he was uncle to all these people, much like Uncle Donald was uncle to Huey, Dewey, and Louie. Which could... just means he fucked the mom, but now they're all friends, so you just call him uncle? But, yeah, the mom doesn't want to say that that's the dad. So he right. says, oh, this is your <clears throat> uncle, Donald. Wait, that meant that is the dad? I really thought it was, like, an old ex-boyfriend who everybody stayed close because they're weird and poly but don't want to tell the kids. <laughs> Yeah, every family growing up needs that one friend that just didn't figure their life out and now just hangs around in the backyard and you call him uncle. Have mercy. I can't wait to be the uncle to your kids. Oh, man. And so your role models are Donald Duck, Donkey Kong, and uncle- Jesse Stumpapotamopoulos. And every single one of the Rippers. Don't forget about all the other Rippers. Uncle Ripper 1 and Uncle Ripper 2, who are there for every babysitting and claim to play instruments. They do claim it. Are they the Beach Boys sometimes? Yeah, I think that sometimes they're the Beach Boys. It's a werewolf situation. It depends on (laughs) where the moon is. It wasn't until Goof Troop, where a cartoon character said, no, 
I am the father, and this is my son. And that character was goofy. Imagine if your dad was goofy. I don't have to imagine it, Ryan. I'm living it. I've gone and seen the leaning tower of Chiza. Okay, and just so listeners know, he is not... Mike, you're not saying that your dad is the adjective goofy. Your dad is a walking, talking, two-dimensional cartoon character who raised you with uh, your best friend, Polly Shore. He often says gorsh. Uh-huh. Uh, he will try to teach me to fish, but there's a weird disembodied voice. He describes what he's doing, and it's always wrong and different. And that's why I am the way I am. I think that makes sense. Powerline has always been my favorite musical artist. I'm going to start assuming that every uncle that I have is actually fucked my father. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always assume they fucked my mom. I mean... <laughs> Do, wait, are we brothers? Do you think no. two-dimensional cartoon Your Father Goofy fucked my human mother? <laughs> yeah, it was a cool world situation. <laughs> it was just not good enough play in life. And by play, I mean people remembering it's real. I know. It's disgusting. I had a clock in my room um, that was like one of those free giveaways that movies send <laughs> out. Uh, and it was the Hollywood sign with Kim Basinger's cartoon character laying uh-huh. on top of it. I was like 12. It was hot as shit. I probably <laughs> jerked off a couple of times staring at a clock. Yeah, you made some uncles. Wait, nephews? <laughs> it's uncles cross-referential, right? Yeah. Goes what? up and down, side to side. Like strippers' booties go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can't believe we're just here to talk about this. <laughs> and not what? I don't know. I just... We're done with season two of the OC. Congratulations no, to us. We have... We have I'm so, what? What? You were jumping ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought that we dearly, were done, and that's why we were talking about Goofy. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to talk about Kirsten hitting rock bottom after Caleb's funeral, prompting Sandy to finally take action by staging an intervention, and Jimmy Cooper returning to Newport, almost immediately renewing ties with the morning Julie, while Haley also comes back to town for the funeral, because, you know, it's her dad, too. Trey's girlfriend and slash partner in crime, Jess, bullies him into participating in a drug deal. Turns into a shootout at the bait shop nightclub, which turns into a shootout in Trey's apartment. All that and more on tonight's The OCD. Ryan, I feel like we really didn't take enough time in the intro. It is the... Season two finale of the OC. I, I mean, like, going and looking back on all the time that we've spent together with each other and our listeners, doesn't it feel like it's all been leading up to this? I feel like that we've been talking about this for fucking years. Even when we were supposed to be talking about other episodes of the OC, we were talking about this episode. And then also nothing after this. Like, <laughs> no one gives a shit about anything that happens on this show after this moment. I could not tell you what happens in these other seasons. I honestly don't know if I've seen this episode before. Are you fucking serious? I think I watched like midway through season one through midway through season two when it was on. Shit, we should have done one of those like trailer reactions that are all the rage on YouTube. Just me watching this episode? Just a 45-minute trailer reaction? I mean, you know, right? Like, you have to know at this point if you have seen this before or not. Yes, Oh, if I've seen it, yes. And I, but I also knew what was happening because SNL does exist and the world does exist and memes do exist. And I'm sure if you put a clip show together of me talking throughout the first 96 episodes of our podcast, you could stitch together every single uh, like second of this episode. I didn't know you had the whole show memorized. Everybody's lines and the stage direction. Oh, there was. I watched this by myself, under a blankie, tissues in hand, even though it's the seventh or eighth time I've seen this episode. 
And it was a motherfucking solo Rocky Horror Picture Show. I was throwing toast at the screen. I knew every single line. I was like, you. No, not you. I brought you into this house. Rocky. You did it all. I do. You you texted me while you were watching it. And you said, this part gets me every time. No matter how many times I see it. You did not tell me what part it was. Uh, You don't have to reveal it now. But at some point, listeners, Ryan will reveal the part that I think makes him ball like a baby every time he watches this episode. I will say this. This is not my first OCD rodeo. um, And this is episode 97, I think. Um, Based on how my math works, I will reveal that in episode 112. When we finally get (laughs) sort of towards the end of Deli Balabi. Well, this is a big deal. So it warrants 25 episodes. Oh, I'm not arguing with you. And neither is uh, our legion of fans. Like... This this episode could have its own Star Wars Minute type podcast. This episode of the OCD? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As it sh- Do you think, like, th- it wasn't a good show and they were all kind of assholes. Are we allowed to steal the name Legion of Skanks and start calling that? That's the name of our fans? Who? What is that from? It's a New York-based comedy podcast. Huh. They're all dirtbags. Is that the one with the guy who said too many Asian jokes and then got kicked off Probably. SNL? No. That one was newer than this one. This one, I think, is uh, Big J Okerson was on it, I believe. Oh, this is the one that uh, welcomed Louis C.K. back with open arms. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have heard of them, yes. So now our fans are Legion of Skanks. <laughs> An ode to Jess. Hold on, let me write them a letter real quick. They're going to want to hear about this. The podcast or our fans? No, the the, the previously known as Legion of Sna- uh, Skanks. Ryan, we should start talking about the episode itself. Uh, our breakfast nook uh, Sandy is in his office that I don't think I've ever seen before. His home office, and is just looking at a pamphlet for, I believe, a different rehab than the first pamphlet he tried to give Kirsten. Right? Yeah. No, he he thought that it's the pamphlet that was rejected, so it's time <laughs> to go get another pamphlet. Um, but like to your first point, there are times where like a character will be walking down a hall past literally dozens of rooms, mm-hmm. and there has to be things going on in those rooms, right? Like, what do there must be. Do rich people, and they're not big rooms, they're not living rooms or anything, is it just countless bedrooms? Bedrooms, hallway closets, dryer and washer backup units. Do you think some of of these hallway closets are rooms that they were like, let's just make this one the hallway closet. So like the hallway closets that we have in our house, which is basically, you know, like five square feet. And then we pack ten square feet of shit into it. Right. They were like, just because we love so much opening a door and having everything, all our camping gear pile up. Oh yeah, and you have to, you must have one basketball fall out at the end and bounce down the street. Um, they're just like, oh, cool. Look at this room. Let's make that a hallway closet. That's our winter gear when we go to Arrowhead. I don't even know the rich person SoCal snowboard place. I knew it wasn't Big Bear. Best thing to do is just inside Mammoth inside that room, put a portal to Mammoth, and then just throw Whoa. your shit in there. That's your mammoth portal. If you're not making portal money, then are you even rich? Is that even what what are you doing here? What are you doing in this town? Yeah. Get out of this town. So that's what Sandy's up to. Uh, when he sees Seth, he walks out and he sees Seth. Uh, Seth does say, sorry about everything to Kirsten, which I do. I'm going to take when somebody's loved one dies. I'm just going to say, sorry about everything. Because what do you say to the person who just lost their parent? Well, a couple things here. One is Seth apologizing for... The last two years of Existing. yeah, his life that we've been watching. Sorry about Portland. Sorry about uh, you know bringing a homeless stranger into the house. 
Uh, which one? Uh, what's great about he says sorry to everything. His mom looks at him and she says he loved you very much. So it's good that she's still lying for Cal, <laughs> even though he's dead. If Cal could trade his life for Seth, Seth, he would do it in a fucking second. He would kill that little <laughs> shit. Like a Freaky Friday situation, not like a no. Like, Seth is dead. Yeah, the devil came in and said, "Hey, you want to make a little deal?" Um, but yeah, it's also interesting too because Seth is not grieving. You know, and there's this thing where, like, everyone attached to the person who died is grieving Seth. Mm-hmm. And, like, to his like to his credit, he does admit a couple times in this episode that he's so, you know, uh, like, self-front forward that it's hard for him right. to deal with other shit. But he is, he feels bad for his mom. He wishes his mom mm-hmm. wasn't hurting. He doesn't give a fuck that Cal's dead, dude. Well, when she says he loves you very much, he goes, eh, I'm here. I think we all have a family member seven that we just be like, oh, everybody around me is sad. <laughs> like, I don't know if that makes you bad because it's all of us, man. If Goofy dies, that bitch is Goofy. I'm fine with it. And there's that whole like monkey brain theory where you can only have like really strong empathy for a certain amount of people in your life. 150? Is that 150? I thought it was 130. Uh, anyway, that seems like a lot, but it's not. And sometimes grandparents are on the other side of the 150. Sometimes what? they get left They're- out. It has to be the first 20 people I meet have to be the top. It's not a ranking system like that, man. I've watched dating shows. The people who are there earliest aren't the ones you connect with necessarily. Based on all of your the, your like uh, pictures I've seen of you from the ages of 1 to 10, every single person that – or the first 50 people that you met were McDonald's employees, and you can't care <laughs> about those as much as you should. That's uh, I like that you went that honest route because I was going to say, yeah, you hear that many fat jokes before you turn 12. You're not going to love those people that much. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, what I'm hearing is – they were you were their customer, and these McDonald's employees were still like you fat piece of shit. Back. They could not hold back. Here's another hash brown, you freak. <laughs> and I ate it and cried and loved it. Oh, and still, they kept my business. You could murder my mother in front of me and kneecap me, and then give me a free McDonald's hash brown, and I will eat that motherfucker no problem. I want to take a break and go eat one right now. <laughs> I love him so much. So uh, Seth, after he sees his mom, uh, he go and his dad is left to his dad's office. He goes is snooping. Uh, and he finds the pamphlet. I don't know why he entered Sandy's office. Who could say? When you, I do think when you're grieving, you do just wander the house, and you're like, I've never seen this corner before. No, it was um, – I'm going to guess that there was like six scenes cut from this because <laughs> uh, of how jam-packed this episode is. And, mm-hmm. Mike, we have, to get, we have to get to it because we have hundreds of things to cover in the next like 30 minutes. So if we're going to get this episode done on this podcast. But he's like, hey, Mom, cool. Uh, sorry that he died. Uh, my phone's out of battery. I need a charger. Oh, go to your dad's office. Oh, okay. I know just the drawer to look in. And then it's like, it is the most, uh, I need someone to find this pamphlet right now screenwriting I've ever seen. So he finds the pamphlet and looks a little upset and he shows Ryan. And I love Ryan because it shows how perceptive he is. And he's like, yeah, I don't think it's for your dad. <laughs> like also, that might be the funniest thing Ryan's ever said. It's very dry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, first of all, said, have you not seen your mom over the last uh, 10 years? And also, Seth's first thought was, and I guess maybe this is very Sandy. Sandy was like, I have a problem. I'm going to rehab. I'm going to put my uh, research in my top drawer for the rehab I have selected for myself. Well, because Seth doesn't say. He just like shows it to Ryan. He's like, what does this mean? And then so Ryan says the best thing that's ever been said on the show. And Seth is like, yeah, it's not like he's addicted to bagels. It's like, oh, no, I get it. I get what we're talking about. I'm going to make a joke until I can figure out what we're talking about. What if we piece this all together 
Uh, and it just turned out that Seth could, was never able to read. And that's what he was asking Ryan. <laughs> like, can you literally say what is in this pamphlet? That's why he calls it the Ninja Game, because he doesn't know the real name of it, because he's never read the box. Uh, that is going on. That's what's going on in the Cohen's household this morning. Uh, the morning of Caleb's funeral. We have to take a break already. <laughs> when we come back, we'll check in on the nickel. Nope. Just the Cooper household now. Cooper household. Uh, Marissa's folding clothes or whatever you do. And Julie walks in and starts to talk about something. And Marissa snaps at her. And then pauses and goes, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be a bitch. Has Marissa... We probably talked about this. But like since... I don't know. Like let's say the back half of the second season. Has Marissa gotten boring? And is it because she's just kind of like a cool, nice, not stupid anymore, thoughtful character? By that you mean she, has she grown up? Yes, yeah, she she's matured a lot, and it doesn't. Unlike Seth, it no longer needs to be all about her. The problem with the character, and she's a girl, so this happens all of the time. But she sort of lost a lot of agency. She's no longer making decisions that decide the plot lines that will dictate the future episodes. But what we do have is someone who just doesn't react the same way. So much so that she hears old Marissa come out of her mouth and then apologize right. to Julie Cooper. And Julie looks so shocked by that apology, even though it's the morning of her... You come to me, the morning of my <laughs> dead husband's funeral. <laughs> you apologize. And the shocked face, like, Julie Cooper walks in and says, hey, Marissa. And Marissa turns around and is like, what, cunt? And Julie is not shocked at all. And then Marissa says, I am so sorry. And Julie's like, oh, my God. That's when she cracks into tears. <laughs> I just didn't think I would ever hear it. Uh, and then Jimmy shows up. He's just like, hey, I'm so, and I would never even thought for the ex-husband to show up at a funeral. I, funerals bring out crazy people, man. <laughs> yeah, there's all those there's all those people who wait outside funerals trying to get in, and once they get in, they blow they the, the motherfucker up. <laughs> Carson! God hates funerals. Funeral. <laughs> I mean, because they make him so sad. Uh, Jimmy shows up from Hawaii. Did and this move? Haley shows up. And Haley shows up. Yeah, but does, did this move make Tate Donovan go from zero to hero? Just like that. Just like that. Yeah. Did that? Did it work like that? It did. It was a Herculean task, and it didn't stop Marissa and Julie from just straight up roasting him. He's like, "Oh, come on, you guys wouldn't think I would miss this important part of your lives." And they looked at each other and like, "Oh, yeah, we did." <laughs> yeah. Where the fuck have you been? <laughs> Hawaii. Your girlfriend said, move to me to Tokyo. And you said, no, I can't. I have a family. And then ran to the farthest state away from us. So, yeah. Who are you? Sometimes I'm nervous about being a dad. And then I watch how Jimmy Cooper does it. I'm like, oh, I'll be fine. I could do all of that shit. You could at least. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the bar you aim for. (laughs) Yeah. They still seem to love him. Uh, So Jimmy shows up and Haley shows up. And I did kind of forget that Haley was also... I remember that she was Kirsten's sister. Uh, No, I get this, yeah. (laughs) But I forgot that she was Cal's daughter. Well, I mean, she does come in and, like, hug Kirsten as if to comfort Kirsten. Like, Mm -hmm. a lot of it feels like she is there for Kiki more than Cal-Cal. Well, they didn't have a great relationship, her and Cal-Cal. So I get it. She's being a supportive sister. He was kind of a monster, and she saw that from an early age. So everybody's like, well, she just treated him like an ATM. 
Look at him. Wouldn't you? If he had to be in your life, would you turn him into that? Fuck him. Is there some subtext going on? And this is really not like, you know, overtly implied or, you know, subtly implied that she is kind of happy because paychecks are coming. Oh, shit. I didn't even think about that. I just thought that she would never have to deal with his fucking drooling sneer again. <laughs> you don't think she was jealous about all the sex he was having with Kirsten? Oh, my God, Mike. This is the last time we're going to be able to talk about how much Cal fucks Kirsten. No, you... I bet we'll be able to talk about it in future episodes. <laughs> we'll bring it up. Uh, I do like, so Haley hugs Kirsten. And Kirsten says it, like, guiltily, but also, like, half laughing. She's like, I told, the last thing I said was that he would die alone. And Haley is just like, all right. No, it's your job there, Haley, to be like, what? No, you didn't mean it. He knew you didn't mean it. And she is, like, jaw open, like, what the fuck, dude? Are we doing a roast? Oh. So we cut upstairs back to Seth, and he is reading uh, a book that was very seminal in my high school years. One, Sex, Drugs, and Cocoa Puffs by Chuck Klosterman. I Like, Seth, you and Seth listen to similar music, right? Mm-hmm. I, me and Seth watch, I guess, similar movies. Um, none of us are exactly Seth, but we can all, we can all see ourselves in this, you know, early aughts fucking hipster asshole if you have never spent a good chunk of your life uh, reading and thinking about sex, drugs, and Cocoa Puffs, then I don't know if you should be listening to the show. Like, this yeah. this is such a major, major book. It was, I mean, it's, it, it may be why podcasts exist, if I'm going to be honest, because somebody stepped up and wrote a book about, hey, you know that dumb shit that everyone thinks is dumb? I think about it seriously. And everybody else on the planet who read the book was like, I want to as well. They yeah, they don't, like, but they want to. And just like every person at the forefront of a movement, even though the the Cluster Knights, we don't have a name. There's not a movement like grunge. Like that person was very smart and thoughtful, and everybody who came after it was a fucking neophyte. I credit so much to two major events, uh, and uh, like our lives are basically owed to these two things. One eleven. <laughs> forgot about that. Uh, sex, drugs, and cocoa puffs, and. Uh, Dante and Randall's discussion of all of the construction workers on the Death Star when it blew up. Once those two things happened in our lives, we were like, we can think anything serious. Some people went, what? And just so many thousands of white dude brains broke open. (laughs) Uh, So he gets interrupted. It's a great book. Check it out. Uh, And Summer shows up with, and I do love this. This feels very real and grounded. Especially in high school, it's hard to deal with grieving friends or lovers. And she brings over Princess Sparkle because she doesn't know how to say, I thought you needed cheering up. So she's like, I thought Captain Oates would need somebody like happy and glittery right now. This is a big transition episode for Summer, uh, and we'll get to a lot of it. But she, this is like her beginning of stepping in between the kids and the adults and sort of being in that limbo land. Um but the best part about this scene is just the feeling of relief of, oh, this is not an episode where Summer and Seth get back together or break up. And we can just not deal with that for one fucking hour of our lives. Zach was going to walk up and he went, not today. Can't do it today. <laughs> Zach popped out of Caleb's coffin. He's like, Summer, I love you. <laughs> and started to try to fight. And everyone was like, boo, this man. He op- slowly opens up the coffin on top of Caleb, by the way. Did not take the corpse out. Just looks at Summer and is like, where are we? So, uh, it's very serious. It's the morning of Caleb's funeral. I'm sure nothing stupid and soap opera will happen, except this is the part of Hamilton 
where it's been very grieving, everybody's dying, and a character straight up looks at the audience and says, can we get to the dumb stuff again? Which in the play is politics. In this, it's Jess and Trey. She just shows up at Trey's apartment and hands him a gun and says, I will split $15,000 with you for this drug deal tonight. Something became clear to me when we're looking at Jess. We are looking at Jess in the episode called Dearly Beloved, the fucking second season finale of The O.C., the thing that we've been building our entire podcasting lives up to, and Jess fucking shows up. And it made me realize something, that I have been pitching the last four episodes of this season as like the greatest run in TV history. And I do think it holds up, but it's not four perfect hours. It's no. four hours of a ton of incredible moments, like very I- incredible, iconic, memorable moments. But every episode has its dumb shit in it. And it's not always Jess, but in this one it is. Well, every once in a while, she'll just turn to the screen and suddenly it will say damaged on her forehead and she'll have a gold grill and she'll say, want to know how I got these scars? Like, it is, it is just bananas what a Batman villain these kids suddenly have to deal with. Is it okay? Like, I know that in order to make a show, this many episodes of a show, you do need to rely on formulas, right? And there's formulas of A plot, B plot, C plot, so you have things to jump around to and every character needs to do something. But is it okay for one episode to just focus on this major life event that happened and not do this weird OC thing where is it a joke or is it real and what the fuck are we doing here? Do you want to see the OC try to do just like in real time? Uh, is it Existential Angels? Uh, the movie where the rich people <laughs> like the Booniel movie. The Boonyum movie where none of these people can leave that fucking glass cathedral that's on the shore. Exterminating Angel. And Mike, the answer is obviously yes, you fucking idiot for even asking the question. Yeah, I did. I think there should be one OC episode for every movie Boonyum made. <laughs> Wait, can we challenge them to go back and do that? Give us eight specials. Um, but maybe not. I, I, I mean, like everything that happens around Cal's funeral, like branching out into... Seth and him dealing with his selfishness and Kirsten's alcoholism and Sandy and his marriage. Um, it's all really good. I think that they could pull it off. But unfortunately, Jess comes in to Trey's house at 630 in the morning when he's getting home in a suit and uh, says, hey, I've got a drug deal plan. We can make these. These are high school kids, right? Jess is yes. in high school. Uh, if you help me with this drug deal, we will make fifteen thousand dollars. And she's a rich kid. Like this, it's not the money for her. She she is an adrenaline junkie. Also, she doesn't knock on Trey's door. She doesn't unlock it. She he comes out of the bedroom and she's just in the chair waiting for him. I remember the first time I had a friend who sold drugs to another friend, effectively making him a drug dealer, and bragged about how he got that title. And he made a solid like twenty six dollars and was over the moon about how he paid. for drugs and sold it to somebody else for $76. $15,000. That's an insane amount of pot. (laughs) It's pot. (laughs) Uh, Ryan, we need to take a break. Do some pot. Do some pot. And when we come back, let's talk about Caleb's funeral. Yes, sir. This is my solemn Ryan voice. We open on a gorgeous cathedral by the ocean. I don't know if you can see the ocean in the show, but you can just feel that there's an ocean vibe. The walls are more vines. The ceiling is more vines. 
than sealing her walls are. And it is Caleb's funeral. And it's yeah, the I'm... first time we hear mm, what you say. So, yes. Uh, you want to talk about impact points. Maybe the Jess and Trey scene of almost no circumstance whatsoever um, was put in there so that when we get back to the good stuff, it hits so hard. hard. We These limos come around, and I never heard this song before. I don't know if you knew it before you watched it. Um, but it is a strange song. Mm-hmm. It is, I think, like one musician with a bunch of like keyboards and pedals and echoes and like just fucking with her voice the entire time. We we will talk about we'll really dig into this song at, at a later point, uh, probably in this episode. Uh, but yeah, it is Imogen Heap. Uh, she's from England. Her name is Imogen. Of fucking course, she's from England. Uh, and it's like electronic acapella. And. You have never cared about Cal more than this. Right. You never cared about death more than this. You've never cared for Cal's family more than this. Like it hits hard, and you like you really get drawn back into like, oh wait, hold on, someone fucking died. Someone died for real. I know we like to laugh and joke about this Scrooge McDuck character here, but like the, he is a real person to some of these people, and he died. Have you ever been to the Wayfarers Chapel before? I do not think so. Uh, so this is a real place, uh, and for once is like near where they're saying. This is about probably an hour north of Newport. Near uh, where they Cape say. Mm. Uh, and very fitting because it's very close to the Trump golf course, and Cal is, of course, the Trump of this show. Uh, it's fucking beautiful. It, it's just a coast of cliffs uh, and, and, and gorgeous horizon, and then there's just this weird little chapel that doesn't have a real wall or ceiling to it, and it's all plants that make it. it. I mean, it looks designed for TV because it's too cool and cinematic. You yes. know, like, we don't deserve places that look like this because we're stupid real people that are not living in a TV show. But if you are lucky enough to live or travel to SoCal, you can just drive up and see it. I'm sure, like, if you're trying to have a wedding there, it's five years booked. But if you just want to drive and do, like, a coastal hike and then pop in and check it out, they don't care. What if I want to do, like, an anniversary of Caleb Nichols' funeral? Do you think I could? Oh, that's a big party every year. (laughs) (laughs) They just play one song and repeat. You will never guess which song. And hold on. You said that Cal is, like, the Trump. Are you saying, do you think that, like, if he didn't live another 10 years, he would have voted for Hillary, right? Caleb Nichols? Caleb Nickel, yeah. He would have been like, oh, Hillary, she's my girl. If she no, can't do it, he, no one's squirrel. He's never said she's my girl about anybody except for Kirsten. Yeah, and that's... Not that's, even that's... Haley. <laughs> Not even Juju. Uh, no, he, he, would, he would roll over in his grave if he heard you talk about how he'd vote for Hillary. Um, and yeah, like, I don't know how the limo shit works. Have you ever done the, the limo parade to a funeral? I haven't been to rich funerals, so no. It feels very odd to me to be as far away from all the people you're grieving with to get limos there. I guess what's smart about it is you're either drinking on the way there, during it, or after, so you don't want to drive. Right. The funerals I've been to have either been the hotel is next to the funeral parlor, because that's how we roll down in Texas, or uh, I'm underage, I had a minivan, my whole family packed in, and I was a DD for the weirdest shit show of my life. People grieve in many different ways. Some of them bad. I will say that, like, uh, just to judge as hard as I can, some people grieve poorly. You know what? Grief doesn't look good on you. 
And when I say poorly, I mean that in multiple ways. Uh, so, so it's this weird, very big and ominous-esque, beautiful, like ethereal opening to the funeral. And then we find out that Sandy, I don't know if we're supposed to believe many people spoke first or if just <laughs> Sandy is the main game in town, but he's giving a eulogy and it, it's pretty heartfelt. And then he had to get one last Sandy dig in there. Cause he's like, he was a caring father, a great grandfather. And a pretty horrible father-in-law. Pretty horrible father-in-law. And then as it cuts away to like the next part of the funeral, whatever's next on the invitation, I think it's where you have the dead person throw the wreath behind them to see who dies next. Um, (laughs) You hear one more Sandy dig. Uh, He's up there building McMansions in heaven. Uh, At least he didn't say (laughs) hell. Catch that? Oh, man. He said hell. Do you... I mean, are, is is this okay? Sandy's able to pull things off better than most people are. But mm. when writing a eulogy, is it different than a like a, a toast at a wedding? Should you put a couple of uh, yuck yucks in there? Make me one promise that you will actually fucking keep Ryan. Not even that you have to write yuck yucks about me specifically, but you will give these two exact dings at my funeral. <laughs> <laughs> the McMansions and how you were a terrible father-in-law to me. <laughs> People will be fucking baffled, but the few who get it will laugh so hard and then break down crying so much harder. I have never heard someone exaggerate so hard by using the word few. You think a few people will get that I am referencing the season two finale of the OC. Well, it will play before. In the, whatever the pre-funeral party is, it'll just this part will be playing. Let's just do this then. I. Uh, if you get to go to Mike's funeral, you must have been subscribed to the OCD since episode one. And if you didn't, then you're not going. So you're just going to be there alone, huh? <laughs> That's fitting. Just eat my ashes. Stare at the waves. Uh, so we cut... More imaging heat lyrics. <laughs> they're, they're haunting. Um, we cut to the Cohen household. Uh, I'm just glad, I guess, we didn't get that caterer who's at all their parties who's sassy. That uh-huh. would have been proper here. But everybody's sad partying, uh, as you do post-funeral. And Kirsten is the drunkest anybody has ever been on this TV show. The whole point of, like, noopsie drunk, the whole point of, like, alcoholics across the land is to drink as much as you possibly can without anybody knowing it. And so in the last episode of The O.C., she knew that she was on the verge of rehab. She said no, no, no. And now she's like, because my dad died, I'm going to get fucking... New England Spring Patriot fan. <laughs> yeah, she is going wolf. It, 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 do you think she didn't eat all day? She's very sad. She drank a few. Or do you think this is she can't just say, I need to go. This is her cry for help. I mean, yeah, I, that is a good question. I, like, she is very, I don't know, like, she's very against anybody talking to her about the drinking. Mm-hmm. But I guess there's a way where she's just racking up who did. Like, who actually cares about me? Who came up to me so I could scream at them? Um, she's also probably never going to have analingus as good as she's ever had again because her dad is dead. <laughs> Come on. On this episode, if I that's I sh- not a reason to drink, why not? <laughs> I should get, like, three or four in this episode. Three or four more, uh, which is what she begged. Uh, so Sandy goes up, and he doesn't say stop. He, he's not mad. He's just like, hey, we got a long, sad, weird party that everybody demands everybody has after a funeral. Can you... Can you pace yourself? And she gets so upset that he dare, that he dare to deign to say pace yourself. 
I mean, she's pouring vodka into water glasses as if it was some sort of H2O. Um, and this is the beginning of the night where she's actually like keeping her cool. But I'm not defending Kirsten, okay? And I understand how many events that the two of us are at where I am just like her and you are just like Sandy and eventually you will have to have my intervention. But at this point, we sort of know, and Kirsten definitely knows, that even when Sandy is trying to be the most like uh, open and honest and sort of like, I'm here for you no matter what, there is always still that tint of like self-righteous asshole preacher, you know? That's just what his brows look like. That's not his fault. <laughs> when you got eyebrows like that, you always look like you're lecturing from a lectern. He shaved into his eyebrows, much like the girl in Dr. Jones's class who wrote, love you on her eyelids, wrote self into one and righteous into the other. And that's going to give people an impression when you come up to them. Yeah, they're going to be upset <laughs> for having to stare at that. Uh, this is this is like running strong, even though she tried to kill Cal. Uh, Julie has been great in the back half of the season and probably one of the best moments in her entire run on the show. She sees that exchange between Sandy and doesn't come over and cackle. She's just like, hey... You deal what you got to do tonight. Let me be on Kirsten watch. Let her glower at me. I'm used to it. I mean, the selflessness here for her to say, like, I know that she's going to yell and scream at me, but I like she was going to anyway. So why don't I just do that? And so Sandy can have like an hour to kick back and probably deal with his grieving sons. Maybe. Maybe, I guess. If they cared or mentioned Cal at all, then maybe he would have to go surf. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, like this is a crazy all new Julie. It, it, but it's not that new. This does feel like it's been bubbling for a while. And why hasn't she been the main character this whole fucking time? Bubbling for a while, like the last three episodes or so. Which to yeah. me, I, I would say new. I would say that me saying new is totally fine. It's new. You're saying that this is like how Julie's been after three episodes. You're already ready to just accept her like this? No, producer Dave, you don't need to come in. Let him glower at me. I'm used to it. <laughs> So we flash into a different corner, and the kids, uh, Seth, Ryan, Summer, and Marissa, are all comparing. It's the weirdest dick swing. They're like, all these rich, sad people are just looking at me like I'm like the weird, nerdy grandson, like the girl who should be drunk right now, like the boy who gave him his first heart attack, which <laughs> Ryan wins. <laughs> Ryan's getting to judge the hardest there. Yeah, and again, I appreciate the self-awareness. You know, like Seth and Julie are leading the pack of this episode, but... Ryan and Summer and Marissa dive in and say, like, I can also understand that, like, I have a crazy past and, you know, this is, it feels weird to be compartmentalized like this. But, bitches, no one's fucking looking at you. No one gives a shit. You know, like, people are dealing with other stuff. But I do think, and I I know to reveal the curtain, you and I have been to a lot of funerals for men of our middle age. Uh, I think it's that it's the whole, I don't know what to do with my hands if I'm. Uh, Absolutely, yeah. Like, nobody. We don't do fancy shit anymore, and maybe we've said that on the OCD before, like with Cotillion was good because it taught you how to d- deal with fancy things. So you only get weddings and funerals, but because you don't have it like four times a year of other things, you don't know what to do. So you're in com- clothes that are uncomfortable, and you're supposed to act a certain way, and there's like a, an assembly line, and it's all fucking baffling. And, and like you're, you're constantly aware of the line of if I look like I have too much fun or I laugh too hard at a joke, then I look like a piece of shit. And... This is why people drink, because at least that 
glass in their hand gives them something to do. Mm-hmm. And this is why people dance at non-funeral parties. And maybe we should dance at funerals because then you're you're you you like you lose yourself into the music and you're not focused on how your limbs are just going insane. The coolest funeral I ever went to uh, was down in Texas, and there was dancing, and it was a shit show, and it was a fucking blast. Even though John Lithgow was there screaming that there should be no dancing at funerals, you guys yeah, just did it anyway. People were upset, and they didn't know I paid him to do that because we had to just remember what life was, right? And if life isn't footloose, then I don't know what it is, Ryan. Oh, Mike, you know what that noise means? It's John, it's John Lithgow off time. Do you want to start or do you want me to go? Santa Claus? Is that him as Santa Claus? <laughs> yes. John Lithgow, who are you? Santa Claus? Get yeah. out of here! You get out of here! Sometimes I'm going to start talking like this, but you know I will end up like this pulling my hair back! <laughs> I'm an alien raising a family. <laughs> what was that? Dexter? Was that when he was in Dexter? <laughs> that was when he played Dexter. <laughs> in the hit show Dexter's Laboratory. Uh, Summer has a very close moment to Julie's, even though she has been more grounded than Julie throughout the show, where uh, she puts together a plate and just walks up to Kirsten. And I realize I think I've only seen these two women talk twice in this mm-hmm. whole show. Uh, but she hands her a plate of food and she's like, I-, I think you need to eat. And Kirsten's like, Oh, thank you so much. And summer because if you're and you're a kid and you don't know what to say, she goes, if my stepmother taught me anything, it's to never drink on an empty stomach. This. Okay. So this is kind of cool for a lot of reasons. One, I'm not going to beat around the bush, bitch. Uh, go ahead, drink it up. I'm not going to be like, Oh, Kirsten is weird tonight. She straight up says drinking. Yeah. Um, and do it, but here's a plate of food. Um, it gives us another chance at seeing how Kirsten will be having no visitors tonight, as far as her conversation bubble goes. Uh, and then, yeah, elevate Summer into that, like, I'm a little more thoughtful than almost all the characters, because most people would come up and say, like, hey, mom, hey, Kirsten, hey, daughter, whoever. Um, you're no, not hey, daughter anymore. Probably not hey, daughter. But uh, although, what a fucking weird... <laughs> Like, stand behind her and have a perfect Caleb Nickel impression and then say, hey, daughter, have her turn around. Do you it's wanna, just Uncle Sean. Do you want to do a call-off? Uh, and so, yeah, I think that there's a lot of cool, honest, selfless, once again, things going on here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's selfless for it's taking care of Kirsten. It's also like, because she has dealt with an adult who's an addict, she's like, your kids don't need to see that. Like, she is trying to help everybody in that one little line. Did it seem, though, that... I'm going to tread lightly here um, that maybe Sandy chose the caterers. Why? Because it wasn't, instead of like the crab cakes or whatever that your typical wasps would have at a waspy funeral. It was a very. It was was smoked salmon and bagels and white fish. It was a very Jewish funeral. Uh, They didn't sit Shiva. But yeah, the the amount of times Sandy said whitefish in this episode. Maybe that's why Kirsten's so mad. She's like, he liked ravioli. I don't know why we don't have that here. Everyone take their ravioli, or yeah, you have to hide the ravioli somewhere, and all the kids have to go find it. Is that how funerals work? Yeah, that, that, that's the, your traditional Italian funeral. Uh, so Sandy sees what happens and does doesn't yell at Kirsten, and he's just like, "Hey, Summer, th- thank you. I'll, I'll take a plate of whitefish." Uh, and she's like, "We get it." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, "Hey, can you get Seth out of the house?" And then he fully, and this is how you know Summer's uh, evolved, because he doesn't treat her like a kid. He fully nods to Kirsten while she's, like, shotgunning <laughs> a bottle of vodka. And he's like, you know, I'm going to have to deal with this. And Summer's just like, yeah, I get Kir- it. 
Kirsten has found somehow found uh, one of those like fake uh, bucking bulls that are in like cowboy bars, and she's on top of it screaming and whooping. That's how you know Sandy set up the initial catering, but then Kirsten went onto the website and added two party favors. <laughs> and it's a helmet that can carry two bottles of Grey Goose and a bucking bull. And yeah, and like just Sandy not being like, Summer, what the fuck? Leave her alone. Or he just says, like, oh shit. I can now trust and count on Summer. Like, she has leveled up. And I do feel like he's been, like, he's been Team Summer for years. And it used to be in a creepy way. Oh, yeah. It used to be like, hey, Seth, she's got titties. (laughs) And all the right places. Uh, Ryan, we, unfortunately, are out of time. Uh, 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 I mean, what, what the fuck, dude? We will never again talk about any of the rest of Dearly Beloved. Okay, so we were on a clock, and we had to do the entire show. And now, like, the important thing of uh, Jess and Trey going to make $15,000, we will never know if they do or not. Right, we just had a Lithgow off. Where <laughs> we are to... we? Where are what we? What the hell? Is going on right here? Ryan, we will be back next week to continue to talk about the fallout. There is an intervention. There is a drug deal with Garden Grove. Which is say, there are crop circles in the carpets. I want to thank you for taking this journey with me. Of course. I would like to thank me as well. I want to thank the Holophonics for giving us this very, just very thoughtful and sad and somber music that they've given us. Although, if I can make one note for the Holophonics, who, yes, of course, thank you for providing the music. I. Uh, I do not know where our ska version of Imaging Heap is. Oh, I'm but email them and see if we can get one. <laughs> I would like that. Post haste, please. Uh, while you're mourning, you could go to yourpopfilter.com. It's where everything we do exists there. Yes? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Why not slap a slash Amazon on the end of that? If it's okay to use them, shop there, get your TP, and help us out a little. Also... Help us out a little directly. Go to patreon.com slash yourpopfilter and pick a tier and get more content. Ryan? Yeah, what do you want me to do? What other shows could people listen to? If you love the OCD, but there is probably room for someone else besides me and Mike to talk, you have a couple of options. Yeah, Uh, there's room. There's so much breathing room in our shows. (laughs) If you want to hear Cassie go up. Oh, 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 okay, okay. Back to the OC. That's weird. Uh, tune into the Superhero Hour Hour, where we try to cover every single TV show based on a comic book every week. You would think that's not that many. It's a lot. That's too many. In the meantime, we were Mike and I were like, we're fucking straight white dudes on the internet. Let's have a movie podcast. We did it. It's called Movie of the Year. That one's hosted by Greg. Please subscribe, download, rate, and review Movie of the Year and the Superhero Show Show. Hit us up at your pop filter on Twitter, on Instagram. You know how social media works. Connect. What part made you ball and dearly beloved? Do you also only think of Prince when you say that phrase? Is it impossible to get that out of your head? And also, when you think about Prince, does it remind you that the first version of Prince you ever met was Powerline from a Goofy movie? What does that make you feel? Were you also into Roxanne as a kid? Do you also think of Leaning Tower of Cheesa almost weekly and don't know what to do with that information? Let's make it clear that you can email about anything, not just answering those questions one at a time. <laughs> yeah, if, that's too long. So this is their social media, but also you could just email us at contact at yourpopfilter.com. What, what question do you have for the listeners they should email us about? You asking me? Yes. 
Does Mike talk too much? The answer is yes. Not a question. That's a statement. Send. And they're all supposed to do this? Yeah. Every single person, please email that. And I don't mean listeners. I mean on the planet. First 20 people on the planet to email us that, get a free swag bag. I'm putting it out there. And that swag bag this time will include a full box set of all of the OC DVDs. What percentage of those people are going to be like, I want that swag bag, but do I have to lie to get it? The answer is 0%. They'll all be telling the truth. I talk a lot. It's true. Next week, we will continue Dearly Beloved. Dearly Beloved. You know what? Stay gay, dad dads, and get me those dead green lantern JPEGs late tro.